0: have your Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. So go towards the back of your Bible. Uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke, looking at verses 46 through 56. The text is also printed in your bulletin. It will also be on the screen behind me uh, this morning. Uh, Luke, uh, God, Luke's Gospel uh, is unique in that he gives us a glimpse of the Gospel through the eyes of certain people And in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, he's given us a glimpse of the gospel through Mary and through this song that she is singing. A quick review, Mary earlier in chapter 1 has received an announcement from the angel Gabriel that she was to give birth to the Messiah. Mary then goes and travels to Elizabeth's house, who is her cousin, and before Mary can even step foot inside the door... Elizabeth goes and says, Who am I that the mother of the Lord should visit me and come to my house? And so what Elizabeth does is basically testifies, along with the angel, that this child growing inside Mary is indeed the Messiah. And after receiving that news, Mary starts to sing deeply from the heart. And so let's read... Uh, these verses in chapter 1, and let's read and see what Mary is singing about. Starting in verse 46, Luke chapter 1, this is God's Word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, meaning Elizabeth, about three months and returned home. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to come and help us through his spirit this morning. Let's pray together. Father, would you remind us this morning as we look at this passage that no matter where we are this morning and where we're coming from, no matter, uh, some of us this morning are angry and bitter and frustrated. Others are worried. Some of us are sad. The holidays remind us of loss. Others of us are very excited and hopeful. Would you remind us this morning through this passage that no matter where we find ourselves, that you move towards us, that you don't move away from us, but you move towards us. Remind us that every person in this room this morning needs the hope of Christmas. Would you come through your Holy Spirit and apply this passage in new and fresh ways so that our hearts might be changed as we leave we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several weeks ago, uh, I was scrolling through social media, catching up on the news and what was going on around the world. And one of the topics that was trending was Garth Brooks. And as I started reading some of these tweets and watching some of these videos that were posted about Garth Brooks, apparently Garth Brooks, you might have remembered this in the news, um, lip-synced a song in the CMA Awards, the Country Music Awards, and as in most things in social media, there was a huge uproar about it. People were deeply disappointed. And one of the main reasons they were disappointed is because he had just received the Entertainer of the Year Award. And then he lip-synced a song in the award show. It was disappointing it's disappointing for me. I don't know if it is for you, but when you're watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and everyone lip syncs, it was disappointing in the 1980s when Millie Vanilli <laughs> lip syncs. Why is it so disappointing? Well, because it ruins the experience, doesn't it? it, it it's disappointing because the song is not coming from within them. They are moving their mouths, but the song remains outside of them. And as I thought about that and reflected even on my own heart this Christmas, it was such a good picture, I think, of us, especially during seasons like Christmas. At this point in December, December the 17th, we've been to more party Christmas parties than one, probably. We've hung up lights. We've gotten decorations, we've run all over Birmingham looking for gifts, we've been stuck in the holiday traffic, we're doing teacher gifts, we're stressing about Christmas cards, which picture do we need to use for the card, or we get a Christmas card from somebody, and we realize that we didn't send them a Christmas card, and we scurry around and we're finding stamps so that we can send them a a card, and everyone doesn't get left out, and the list goes on and on and on, and we find ourselves thinking, and I've heard this already, I wish this would all just be over. January 1st can't come soon enough. Maybe you find yourself thinking that as well. And you see in the midst midst of all the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, what happens is we get weary. We get exhausted and worn down. And we come in here oftentimes on Sunday morning and we simply lip sync our way through worship. These Familiar Christmas songs that we love deeply are so familiar. But oftentimes the song remains outside of us. Our lips are moving about Jesus without a heart that is really engaged with Jesus. You see, oftentimes we take up a custom rather than worshiping deeply from the heart. And so the question that I want us to look at this morning is this. How do we go from lip syncing this Christmas to singing deeply from the heart. How do we go from lip-syncing to singing deeply from the heart? Well, this passage answers that question. Look at verses 46 and 47. Mary's not lip-syncing. Mary is singing deep from deep within her. How do we know? Well, look at verses 46 and 47. It says, her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit, the next verse, rejoices. The soul and the spirit are not two different things in the Bible. That's a literary device that's being used of repetition in order to make an emphatic point. And the emphatic point that's being made here is that Mary is being moved. Mary is singing and being moved in the depths of her being. And if you notice, if you look at the passage, the song is not about her. She's not saying, look at me, I get to be the mother of the Messiah. No, that's not it at all. She is singing about her God. Notice how many times he is referenced versus I. And so if we're ever going to sing deeply this Christmas from the heart, rather than lip sync, we need to understand what it was about God that moved Mary so deeply inside her soul. Because if we can understand that this morning, maybe we can start to sing as well. Three things this morning about God that makes Mary sing. first thing we're going to see is God's mercy makes her sing. Secondly, the fact that God stoops low and remembers a lowly, poor teenager like herself. And then lastly, God's promise makes her sing. So let's look at those three things this morning. Let's look at number one, God's mercy. If you have your Bible open, look back at verse 42. And it says, Elizabeth says, if you remember, says that Mary is blessed. Verse 48, Mary's singing and she says, generations are going to call me blessed. Here's my question. Why is Mary blessed? Is it because she's good? Is it because she's wealthy or obedient or well-educated? And if you've been coming uh, to our church, you know that the answer to that is an emphatic no. It's nothing to do with any of those things. It's God's grace. How do we know? Earlier in chapter 1, when the angel visits uh, Mary and announces that she will give birth to the Messiah, two different times the angel says that tells Mary that she is favored. The word favor is the word that we normally translate grace. And so the picture is that Mary is not going to be the one that's bestowing the grace. Mary is the one who's receiving the grace. And all throughout this passage, she gets that. She knows that God has been merciful and gracious with her. And so instead of going through the motions, it leads her to sing from deep within our heart. Look at verse 50 and verse 54. Mercy. Think about all throughout the Bible, and even think about in the world around you and in your friendships, who are the people that sing deeply and talk about God's mercy the most? That's obvious, isn't it? The people who know that they have received God's mercy, and know that they desperately need it. Those are the people that sing deeply from the heart about God's mercy. Sinners love mercy. Mercy almost always in the Bible is connected to forgiveness of sins. So why do we need forgiveness of sins, you might ask? Maybe you're trying to figure out Christianity and you're thinking, why do I need mercy? Why do I need forgiveness? Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty... So the holiness of God, and then it says holy is his name. The reason why we need mercy is because the Bible says God is holy and that we are not. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, the Bible says, is born into sin. Look at verse 50. That's why we need mercy. And God knows that you and I could never be good enough to climb up to Him. And so He had to climb down and come down to us. And God comes down into the world and does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lives the life that we should have lived, and He dies the death on the cross that we deserve. And that's why we could say that Christmas, more than anything else, and if you take anything away from Christmas this Advent season... Christmas is about God's mercy to sinners. It's about God's mercy to people like us. Two of my daughters have just finished the communicants class, and we have been going through the membership questions because, you know, to join the church and profess your faith, they will stand up here with other youth, and they will profess their faith publicly, and they will answer membership questions. And the first membership question. Some of you know this because you've joined the church recently. It's not the second question or the third or the fourth or the fifth. It's the first, and that's very intentional. But it is this. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure? And here it is. And without hope, except for the sovereign mercy of God. You see, the church, friends, is the only community in the world where the only thing that will keep you out is if you believe that you're good. It's if you believe that you're good. Friends, I don't know what you brought into the room this morning, but wherever you are with your sin, Christmas tells us that God is a friend of sinners, that God is merciful. That he took on flesh and came down to us. So the picture is God moves towards you in your sin. Not away from you. Venicio Riva boarded a bus in northern Italy. And when he boarded the bus there was an open uh, seat next to this gentleman on the bus. And he takes that seat and very uh, quickly the person next to him snaps and pushes him out of the seat and says, get away from me. Everyone on the bus witnessed what was going on and no one said a word. But Benicio was very accustomed to this kind of unkindness from strangers. Because you see, he suffered from a non-infectious disease that left him completely covered from head to toe with these growths and these tumors and these itchy sores. In fact, often on his undershirt, often every day it would be completely soaked in blood from the blood that was seeping out of the sores that were all over his body. You've probably seen Venicio and not known it, but he is the gentleman who was captured in that moving picture when Pope Francis grabbed Venicio's face in his hands and stoops low and embraces him and kisses him. His aunt actually took him to see the Pope. And listen to what she says as she's describing this visit. She says, the Pope came close to us. I thought he would just simply give me his hand, but instead he went straight to Benicio and he grabbed him tightly, so tightly that I didn't think he was going to give him back. Benicio... Commenting says, I was initially confused at the Pope's lack of hesitation because everybody's hesitant around me. But he had no fear of my illness. He embraced me without speaking. And I started to shake. Friends, unless you and I identify with Benicio, unless we understand that we are without hope except for the mercy of God, then we are never going to sing deeply of God's mercy. You see, we'll sing deeply of God's mercy when we realize that there is a sense in which Jesus, He comes to us and He takes our face in His hands. And we're not covered with tumors, maybe like Venicho, but we're covered with brokenness and sin. And Jesus moves towards us without fear in order to heal us and to restore us. Friends, the people who sing deeply from the heart are people who have connected the mercy of God to their life personally. Now, it's not just something out there, yeah, yeah, God gives us mercy. No, it's, it's hit you in a way deep inside your soul of how merciful God has been to you personally. Personally. Secondly, God stoops low. Look at verse 48 and then look at verses 51 through 53. The people who sing deeply of God's mercy from the heart very clearly is the lowly and the humble. We see it all throughout the Bible. God's kingdom is upside down and it's not the way we think it is. Think about Mary. Mary was a nobody in the middle of nowhere who didn't have two pennies to rub together. And God works through her story. God's own son son was not born like we would assume in power and riches and glory and in a palace. But through her, through Mary, this poor, plain teenage girl. And it goes against every single thing you and I instinctively think. You want to summarize the, the Bible in one verse? There's lots of ways we could do it, but here's one way. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's humbling, isn't it? Friends, could it be one of the reasons why you and I are simply lip thinking our way through the Christmas season? It's because we think way too highly of ourselves. You see, Mary knows that she's lowly. She knows in the grand scheme of things, who is she before God? God is her creator, And she is the creature and she knows that she is lowly and insignificant and she sings out of that lowliness and out of being insignificant. The Olympics were in Rio recently and you might have seen pictures of this or have seen this picture uh, before of the famous Redeemer statue. The statue of Jesus that stands on the mountainside over the city, 98 feet tall and he's standing with his arms open. That's a beautiful statue But the sad part of that is right below Jesus is one of the most violent and most poverty-stricken slums in the world. And it's perplexing because Jesus is pictured in that uh, statue as being removed from the poor. And as being high and above the poor. And Mary would say, no, no. You've got it all wrong. Luke says that we need to reposition that statue and put it in the slums. Because Jesus, that is who he is, he stoops low. He doesn't stay high and lifted up, but Jesus becomes poor and becomes needy and comes down into the slum of this world in order to save lowly and broken and needy people like us. It's challenging, isn't it? And the reason why that is so challenging is because everything in us, and I'm I'm with you, okay? Everything in me and everything in you pushes back against this. I don't want to be lowly. We don't want to be insignificant. We want to be important, not unimportant. In fact, we could say that we do everything possible In order to eliminate insignificance from our lives. We think if I can just be educated enough. And get enough degrees. Or if I can be fit fit enough physically. And be successful enough in the workplace. And have enough money. That is what will make me important. And then we come to a passage like this. And it's very clear. That it's the lowly. And the humble, they are the ones that are singing deeply from the heart, while the rich and the poor have no song, to, or the rich and the powerful have no song to sing. Look at verse 51. Let's go through this. The proud are scattered. See, the one who thinks they're strong, the passage says that they're scattered without a song. 52. He brought down the mighty from their thrones. See, the one who embraces self-glory and self-sufficiency. This passage says, has no song to sing. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away uh, empty. Did you hear that? The poor he's filled with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. Please, please, and I say this to my own soul do not let this go in one ear and out the other this morning. The self sufficient and the powerful and the rich and the strong, those are the people in this passage that aren't singing, but they're lip syncing. Why are they lip syncing? Because they need nothing, they don't need anything. And honestly, think about these words that are used strong and self-sufficient and powerful and rich. And what does that sound like? Sounds a whole lot like over the mountain Birmingham, doesn't it? So what does this mean for us this morning? Well, I think it means by way of application is we've got to fight. We've got to claw with all of our might To understand that we really are spiritually poor and needy. That in the grand scheme of things. Yes we are human beings made in the image of God. But he is God. And we are the creature. We have to fight to understand that Jesus doesn't pick us. Because we are the first round draft pick. And we have lots to offer him. But it is by grace alone. And listen. There's nothing wrong with education and beauty and, um, and wealth and all those things. Those are great gifts that God gives his people. However, there is a danger. And the danger is that we use those things. I use those things in order to cover up my neediness. And we cover it up with wealth and beauty and power and being competent. And the Bible says that is a huge danger. It is a huge danger because those are the things, and it's not just here, it's everywhere in the Bible. Those are the things that actually keep us away from Jesus. And if you don't believe me, read Mark chapter 10, the story of the rich ruler. Remember the story of the rich ruler? He walks and he looks a whole lot like me, probably, <laughs> dressed like this. And he says, I don't need anything, I'm good. And Jesus sends him away, and he sends him away sad. Second thing, by way of application. The fact that Jesus took on flesh and came down into the world means that if we really grasp that at its heart, means that we need to look at our relationships. And here's what I mean by that. We are naturally drawn to the movers and shakers of the world. We're naturally drawn to the superstars and the pretty people and the people of power and the people that have connections that can open doors for us. But if we really understand Christmas and what Jesus has done for us and the fact that we are really poor and needy at the end of the day, then you know what it does? It causes us to move not to the pretty people, but to the people who are forgotten, who are outcast and needy. Lastly, Mary's singing. Because she's singing of God's mercy to her. She's also singing about the fact that God stoops low to the lowly. And thirdly, she's singing about God's promise. How do we see that? Look at verses 54 through 55. She's singing uh, about the fulfillment of God's promise that started way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Remember, uh, the world was good and... uh, All of a sudden, things were right with the world and with God and man. And man decides to rebel against God and go their own way. And the world was blown to bits at that moment. But God, right from the very beginning, promises to immediately send, not immediately, but promises to one day send a rescuer, someone who would come and Rescue and remake the world. And he promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And then the story continues into Abraham. And Mary looks back on this promise and understands the promise made to Abraham. Which, if you remember the story, was another impossible birth. And Abraham was told that through his seed would come blessing for the entire world. That's what Mary is singing about Because she's thinking about God's covenant promises. The entire Bible up to this point. Is all about God fulfilling that promise. Looking forward to that day when God would fulfill that promise. And Mary is thinking. I'm carrying the promise fulfilled. I'm carrying Abraham's seed. Can you believe this? In my belly is hope for the entire world. And that's probably the thing. That resonated with me the most. As I was studying this passage this week. Is Mary's wonder and amazement. Look at verse 49. God had spent thousands of years. Preparing for this day. And he would bring the savior of the world. Into the world. Through this simple poor teenage girl. Verse 49. Look at what she says. God has done great things. For me. Can you believe this? That's the feel of the passage. And my question this morning is, do you have that kind of wonder and amazement? You know, we all should. That wonder and amazement is actually one of the surest signs in your life that you really understand Christianity. Christianity. It's one of the surest signs that you really understand the gospel. Because if you think being a Christian is primarily about coming to church and obeying uh, certain and producing certain behaviors, then you're never going to sing deeply from the heart. Because that's not what uh, uh, Christianity is primarily about. You'll know that you will start, you've started to grasp Christianity and you've started to really grasp Jesus and the gospel when someone were to come up to you and say, Hey, are you a Christian? And you know you're starting to grasp it when you respond something like this. Well, yes, I am. And it's a miracle. Can you believe that? That somebody like me, that God would choose to save someone like me and give me such an incredible gift. A friend of mine had a a young daughter, a six-year-old, that just went off to school. So she was starting school uh, for the first time, and somewhere a few weeks into school, her class is coming back from PE and from the gym, and she gets separated from the class. And she's lost, new, again, new in school, and she's standing in the middle of the hallway completely coming apart and melting down. And a teacher comes up and sees her crying and takes her to her class and all is well. And her father, uh, when she came home from school, had heard about the experience and says, you know, tell me, uh, were you scared and were you afraid? And she says, no, I wasn't afraid. And he goes, well, then where did the tears come from? And she responded and said, well, I was crying because... Everyone had forgotten me. And I was all alone, and no one was looking for me. That's what made me sad. You see, the reason why that pierces us to the heart is because that's our deepest fear this morning too, isn't it? One of our deepest fears is abandonment. One of our deepest fears is being cut off or not mattering or being forgotten. And Mary is singing deeply from the heart this morning and in this passage because she's saying, though we have turned away from God, God has not turned away from us. God has not forgotten His people. And she understood that and she sung deeply. And when we understand that, We will sing deeply. You see, that's the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas and Advent is meant to force us to slow down and to reflect on this baby that's born in a manger as being a reminder that God has not forgotten His people and that He has made good on His promise. And so as we reflect on God's mercy, we reflect on... The upside down nature of his kingdom. And the fact that he's near to the lowly and broken hearted. And as we reflect on him fulfilling his promise and not forgetting us. Maybe instead of going through the motions. Maybe that will grab our heart in a new way. That's my prayer for my own life and for us this morning. Maybe that will grab our heart and we will start to sing deeply like never before. This Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time of year. It's meant to be a reminder in the calendar of your goodness to us. And we confess that as wonderful as this story is, and it's become familiar to lots of us. And so would you enable us this morning um, to be moved by it, uh, to hear it anew, Uh, this Christmas season. I pray even this week leading up to Christmas that you would do things um, in our hearts to move us in that direction. Help us to ponder uh, what you have shown us in your word this morning. Pray that you would make those things real to us and to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.